0: Hey everybody, welcome to the DeFi Mafia podcast, your host David here, I'm here with Dylan and Mike as always, and special guests, we have Kirk uh, from Volt Protocol and Sam from Frax Finance, thanks so much for coming on guys.
1: Awesome to be here, thanks.
2: Yeah, thank you for hosting us and, and thank you Sam for taking the time as well.
3: Yeah, thank thank you both, I uh, appreciate you guys for both coming on, excited, excited to chat today.
2: Yeah,
0: so I think uh, you know I think a lot of people are familiar with Frax. They're one of the more popular uh, DeFi protocols right now. Uh, but we wanted to just give a quick background. We'll start with Frax, and then we'll talk about Vault a little bit, and then how you guys are working together. Sam, do you mind giving a little background on Frax?
1: Yeah, for sure, of course. Uh, Frax is named after the kind of thing we we invented, which we call fractional algorithmic uh, stablecoins. So the the names like a portmanteau of like Fractional and algorithmic uh, stablecoin, and the idea behind it was like it, you can create a decentralized stablecoin uh, with on-chain reserves and like liquidity and, and stuff, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the over collateralized lending model. One of the first you know premises that we started with is like um, you, the only way to create decentralized stability is not just you know over collateral lending and it also isn't zero percent collateralization like the uh basis model which is like an old uh algorithmic stable coin which is like there's no collateral there's nothing um you just mint these like bond tokens or you like rebase or, or something like that because that doesn't make a lot of sense uh we actually said this back in 2019 when we first kind of got the idea for uh, FRAX. And we said, like, this is basically the original Algo stable coins are kind of like a bank without a balance sheet, which makes absolutely no sense. You, you can't actually issue a currency without any kind of capital side, you know, assets. Um, now it's it's interesting, just, you know, two and a half, three years after uh, that, um, it's all, all, almost like, duh, right? It's like, everyone's like, well, that's obvious. Um, and in terms of, uh the fractional stuff, what's really cool is um, I think you see Terra, uh, which we have a really good relationship with, uh, is, is also kind of moving in this direction and doing their, uh, you know, kind of fractional collateralization with BTC reserves. That's been talked about uh, a lot recently because just because of how big of a move it is before uh, Terra USD stable coins were just, you know, backed or swappable by, uh, by to Luna tokens, which is their governance token. And uh, recently, the Doquan came out and said, you know, we're going to build a multi-billion dollar BTC reserve that backs uh, UST stable coins. And obviously, this was really, um, really positively received. And I think, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's really fundamentally sound. It's the same idea we proposed with Frax uh, originally, back before anyone was kind of talking about this idea and uh, frax has grown a lot it's become uh one of the the biggest uh decentralized stable coins i think uh you know the kind of non-fiat landscape is is like you know uh terra Dai, frax it's kind of the and, and then fey as well um mm-hmm. working together uh with with volt and so frax is overall as a protocol has done really well the the protocol's total revenue is just under 200 million dollars annually, which I think probably puts it at one of the largest, uh, you know, revenue-generating protocols, and that's that's been really good. We've been able to increase our balance sheet like that. We've actually been taking ETH and WBTC on Ethereum through our uh, investor AMOs, which basically take the profit and and rebalance it to to collateral on on the balance sheet. Um, one thing that's really unique about Frax is a protocol, which is where the uh, uh, FPI comes in and and yeah, like so on the screen, this is a perfect thing to show, which is uh, this is the AMO page on the FRAX uh, finance web app. You can actually see everything in, in real time, where the assets are, where the liquidity is, uh, how much profits uh, overall there are and uh, how much historically all time there's there's been in terms of uh, profits and, and volatility and where the lending is happening, all, all of this stuff. And um, the, the thing about the, the FRAX stablecoin is like, we're not a, um, you know, platform for launching multiple and, and different stablecoins. So we won't have like fractional euros or, or like yen or something. But what we are uh, doing is that we're a very forward thinking and have a, a huge vision for basically... Uh, creating this successor to whatever dollar-pegged stablecoins are going to be in the crypto industry, which we, we think is going to be a CPI-pegged stablecoin, uh, whether eventually you know the governance token holders will vote on like the CPI weights or, or not or continue to use different oracles, that's kind of way, way, way far out in the future. But what we think is the USD as a unit uh, can and probably... Uh, will be replaced in like the digital economy with something else that keeps your uh, you, you know uh, standard of living stable right And that's why we're, we're doing the FBI. Yeah, the FBI is the only other stable coin of the of the fracs protocol. so there, there won't be any other stable coins there will be FRAX, which is the dollar pegged one uh, and then what we think will hopefully be the successor of all dollar pegged stable coins, uh, which is a CPI pegged one. And so that's why we're really excited to, uh work with volt because as as far as i know i think we're the only ones that are building this out together um and have these these two stable coins that are pegged to the uh cpi so this is going to be a really really cool launch because we're we happen to actually coincidentally be launching very very close to uh same time so uh love to hear from from kirk uh more about volt and uh how that fits into the the grand vision
0: and just real quick just for everybody listening in case they don't know what CPI is is the consumer purchasing index right it's the uh, inflation measure that the US government puts out
1: yeah the the consumer price index so price index sorry yeah the idea that most people might not know but you know it's been now it's been talked about with you know inflation and the pandemic and all the money printing is like the dollar is actually soft peg to, to the CPI. The reason everyone talks about the CPI now is that the peg is a little wobbly, right? That The inflation rate has, has actually gone up a, a decent amount. But, but the idea is that the dollar does actually have a loose peg. If you actually look at what the, the U.S. government says, it does literally look at a basket of consumer items that it thinks that uh, the average uh, American family Needs to be able to afford with its money, which are which are dollars in, in the United States, and it makes sure that the purchasing power of that dollar is loosely tracking, you know, give or take a, you know, two percent inflation, you know, to encourage spending annually or something, um, but generally tracking this basket of goods. So if you're saving in dollars and you have a bunch of dollars in a bank account, you can be reasonably sure that it's going to across uh, years time afford about the same amount of eggs about the same amount of uh you know meat uh cars electronics you know your your rent and Uh, and things like that
3: i was gonna try oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to catch up
1: no no that's that's the general idea yeah
3: uh i was just gonna uh first of all well said on the uh on that front david thank you for uh transitioning the cpi question because that's exactly what i was gonna ask but sam to riff off what you were saying a bit like I, i read a quote from like some like credit space or some bank article recently talking about like the commodity spike and how like commodities are, like kind of like the last form of hard money and like you know alluding off of, or you know playing off of what you were saying uh it's almost like the dollars pegged like to these commodity or they're like trying to keep it pegged right to like all the you know crap we need to buy on a regular basis
1: yeah uh, and it's, it's interesting because people don't talk about the cpi there wasn't much talk about it until the peg, you know, the inflation rate essentially. So, so inflation is literally defined as uh, the the deviation of like the dollar value from this basket of goods, right? And right. so, uh, it's it's interesting. Everyone knows or is start talking about the CPI because the peg is off, basically.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like as as um, nickel and whatever wheat and everything spikes, like the dollar peg gets off or whatever.
0: All right, now let's have Kirk go ahead and
2: explain Vault for us. So, well, what's funny about Vault is it didn't start out as being supposedly a peg to the inflation rate or the CPI, and you'll have to excuse me for our very work in progress website. You'll see that it's been a very iterative progress and process with um, you know, mostly just me for a long time thinking about the idea of how could we have a much more scalable system to Like, imagine how could MakerDAO support 10,000 different collateral assets or lending terms and allocate amongst them or change the stability fees on a block-by-block basis? Uh, It's absolutely impossible with the current governance systems. And that's the kind of problem that I was originally motivated to tackle. And the context that I started working with the RARI DAO, um, I was looking at Fuse as this basis of permissionless fees pools. And I was like, oh, we need a stable coin allocating amongst those. And I think a lot of other people saw that potential as well. And so Frac started allocating Infuse, Faye was allocating Infuse, and eventually the Faye-Rari merger went down. And sort of along all this journey, I got to meet and work with a lot of other people. And what we came to for Vault, and uh, I think we realized the same thing as Sam, is that an inflation-protected um, stablecoin, it, you know, the idea that the ultimate goal of cryptocurrency in general has been a f- about several things, but one of them is removing money from... Like the arbitrary control of the state or other centralized parties. And the other part, or like that goes hand in hand with that, is a money that's truly stable across time without being subject to manipulation. Um, Because, you know, like naturally you would expect money to be deflationary because the economy is getting larger and more advanced over time. And so the cost of goods is a ratio of like human work hours or like the share of total wealth per human grows. So you should have a lower cost. You should be able to get more with your money over time. And so it's sort of like theft right, that it's being uh, taken from you in the form of inflation Mm -hmm. and within DeFi we have an opportunity to coordinate around a new standard and that's very exciting so um, my perspective on Volt is like there's room for a lot of different stablecoin issuers that all have different risk perspectives Uh, and this is what I've talked about before like ultimately everything is a trade-off between risk and reward wherever you're accepting collateral or choosing yield and it's hard to know in advance what is the optimal one, right, like the market decides it's good to have multiple different ones and they can learn and feed off each other. So I see Vault as essentially being like a little bit in a lower risk tranche. You know, it'll be one-to-one or slightly over collateralized. Uh, it has a very similar model to DAI in that there's both debt issuance and peg stability model dual issuance. So I encourage everyone who's interested, check out the white paper. We're going to be releasing a new version of the white paper as well as updated docs this week going into our Code Arena audit on March 31st. Uh, plug for that. We can talk more about that later. Um but just apologies, like you may see some inconsistencies, especially if you read the medium articles versus the white paper and other things as, as you see my design progress. but um, Yeah. And anyone feel free to at me on Twitter with clarifying questions. Um, always happy to especially preferably in public answer questions so that others can see it as well.
0: No, it's cool. Like, I first, I've been following Volt since probably the beginning. I, because I look at the Olympus forums. So I saw, I remember back months ago, your original uh, proposal on the Olympus forums. And I was pretty interested because you were, and I'm not sure if it's still exactly what you are, but you were going to kind of fork um, um, Rye, right? Ref- Reflexer. That was kind of the initial proposal, right?
2: Correct. Well, so I came with this idea of how do we govern the stable coin? And then I needed the code of, okay, which stable coin will we build? And I like Rye a lot, especially like the controller element, the mm-hmm. idea that you can autonomously and on-chain adjust and do feedback based on supply and demand. And I think that those kind of elements will, will find their way into Vault as well. But after I got the chance, at the time that was just me, once I got the chance to work with Elliot, who's the smart contract developer who's done the main V1 implementation of Vault, um, we were able to align on more of a clean slate implementation because we've got a lot of you know, plans in the works. And as when you see the white paper, it's pretty different from Rye. what we have in mind uh, in the end. Uh, it's right, right, right. It's kind of a clean slate stable coin, but we are definitely inspired by the Rye design. Gotcha. And the code will be public very soon for the code arena audit. So we will able to check that out. And so as far as you guys working together, Volt and Frax, how
0: exactly does that relationship work?
1: Yeah, so I, I think um, I usually, I get asked this a lot because, uh, it, and it actually kind of, Is interesting because a lot of people come up come from the opposite mindset of like competition but like i get asked this a lot like oh uh you know you guys had the fpi idea first or whatever aren't you guys like isn't volt like how will frax compete with volt or how how will uh you know that i thought this was going to be the only cpi uh you know peg stablecoin now there's uh volt or something and i actually was super excited when uh i i Uh, heard from kirk that you know they're moving from the you know the rye kind of thing to the cpi uh stuff that we can actually work directly together and what people miss i think is actually exactly what kirk said that that's uh coincidentally important is like like when he said the productivity and economy is is like growing technically so like everyone should be getting like like wealthier this also applies to a lot of the cryptocurrency advancements and and designs right like like a stable coin that has another stable coin pegged to the same unit they also benefit from joint deep liquidity together they also benefit from uh, working together in, in designing technologies, they also benefit from uh, treasury swaps, which we we plan to do in, in large amounts, so that we're both not only just like socially, you know, aligned you know, on on podcasts and you know everyone's friends, but but economically, both in terms of balance sheet growth and and stuff like that, but also like. I always say this, which is like our our pegs are stronger together than than they are uh, without. Right. I mean, we're going to be able to have deep curve pools, deep uh, Uniswap v3 pools, which all wouldn't be possible at all. It it would be not possible to have those if there wasn't two stable coins. Right. Like that, that have the same same unit. You'd have to have uh, much more inefficient, you know, full range pairs because the only thing you could pair with them uh, is either either like, you know, dollars, euros or, or something else. Um, or just other tokens, but now there's actually deep liquidity. There's two distinct groups that are working together, so there's more innovation and and uh, views and, and ideas, right? We've we've worked together in terms of designing the uh, chainlink oracle uh, contract that, that both of the stablecoin pegs FPI and Volt uh, read from, and we would have had to just do that alone, right? If if there if there wasn't. Uh, Anyone else working on a CPI stablecoin? But now we're able to do it better. We're able to do it with with more uh, discussions with like their talented team, right, on on their end, and uh, we're both able to devote like resources like uh, co-incentives or like you know curve gauge boats and and things like that. And overall, I always try to stress the fact that it it's not at all competitive uh in anything in in this space unless you make it that way right with with like a zero sum mindset of like the only way like we can grow is if we take their piece of the pie rather than us teaming up to grow the the piece of the pie so uh we work together really closely so so the the main thing is like we have a telegram group we're gonna do uh large uh treasury swap everything has been phenomenal and uh kirk and and uh their team has been uh brilliant overall.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree on like the collaboration side. Like I think DeFi is so small that there's such a so much room for growth that there's not really a need to fight each other right now so much. I mean like, you know, people talk about all these curve wars and all that stuff. But like honestly, like like I think Ferrari kind of uh started seeing that early on too. And like I think a lot of protocols are starting to work together. I think that's definitely the better move like for everybody. Um
2: at a higher level, I just wanted to add yeah. in there, like, you know, it's far from clear that, and you know, there's a lot of people who are seeking to even like have immutable smart contracts at this stage, which is something that I respect, but my personal view is kind of the opposite, right? That like in three to five years, all the smart contracts are going to be changed. Um, you know, the, the scale will be completely different in terms of the amount of capital, the architecture of the different layers will all be altered, you know, like who knows what's going on. And so in this kind of environment, it's really more about like the more the merrier trying to s- handle these solutions. And what ultimately differentiates like different products, in my opinion, has to do with natural risk niches, right? Like there's only a certain, you know, you'll have a certain number of like very large stablecoin issuers, and they'll probably each have a distinctive either specialization or risk level, um, you know. And it's not going to be a little thing like oh, you know, we we optimized our code a little more, you know, than them. Um, you know, security is very important. But the possibilities of collaboration and like also new things being created that we could both use later is awesome, right? Like with Vault, if someone else makes a better lending protocol than the current iteration of Fuse, we'll, we'll use that, right? Like um, we're not close-minded about that sort of thing. And I think that everyone should optimize towards the most efficiency we can to compete with TradFi and grow DeFi to trillions of dollars, uh, you know, tens of trillions of dollar total market cap.
0: Right. Yeah, totally agree.
2: Like, I mean, and it makes sense, right? I mean, just look at
0: TreadFi. There's room for a ton of huge competitors. There's no need. It's not like there's going to be
2: one DeFi protocol to to win them all, right? Yeah, many can win, maybe not any of the ones that currently exist, and we should all try our best to, (laughs) to get there. Right, right, right. I totally agree. Um, on like FPI. So
0: for Frax, right? To clarify for people listening, because Frax now has three coins, right? Obviously, Frax itself, Frax shares, and FPI. How does uh the Frax shares FXS benefit from FPI?
1: Yeah. So so there's actually four tokens. The FPI share token as well. However, Uh, okay, that's right. so So the pegs are separate, so there's less risk. However. Is actually a very common question. So it's like, then what happens to FXS? What do, Does that does that not accrue any of the, the value or anything in the answers? Uh, it, it definitely does. In fact, FXS, wh- how we design it is it's like the L1 token of the FRAX ecosystem. If, if it was an L1 token, obviously FRAX is not a chain. It does not make its own blocks or anything like that. But so what we needed to do is we needed to design a system so that the fpi peg was isolated so that if it's extremely difficult right to to keep like a cpi peg which is unknown right because no one's done this before um that doesn't actually jeopardize the frax dollar peg it's a separate stable coin. in fact you can kind of see how uh naturally volt is is a different project so like for example they use uh and uh, like a direct partnership with a lot of their liquidity and their psm but like Vcon is different than Tribe, right? Tribe does not get minted to basically, uh, you know, uh, back the the, uh, the the volt peg if if it's shaky or or something like that. And the way that FXS accrues value, the way that it, the value actually comes back down to FXS is the extra balance sheet profit essentially, or or yield that the FPI. Uh, stable coins bring in above the peg, right? Like backing above the peg that is, uh, is essentially profit. That amount goes to FXS holders proportional to the amount of FRAC stable coins that are actually backing the FPI stable coins. That sounds a little bit like a mouthful to say, but basically the idea is that if FPI stable coins are all backed by Frax stablecoins, if the entire collateral of FPI is just Frax stablecoins, any kind of profit just goes directly to the FPIs token holders. So, so basically, they they get all of the excess balance sheet uh, collateral like over over the peg, right? And um, then they they are basically a totally separate token. But that means that 100% of the growth of the FPI stablecoins has to be using FRAX as, as the collateral, 100% of it. So, so that literally means mathematically the growth rate of, of FRAX's stablecoin supply is the demand for FPI growth, mm-hmm. literally. As, as FPI's backing changes, as, as it, for example, I, I assume what's probably going to happen is FPI stablecoins are going to have you know, some ETH backing it or some BTC or, or something like that. The, the less FRAX stablecoins that end up being on fpi's collateral balance sheet the more of the profits go to fxs holders so if it is for example the extreme end or something right which is like there's only like half or a quarter of the entire fpi supply is backed by fracks and like it's backed by everything else. Let's say there's other stablecoins they, they want to actually back it with or something. Then 50% of all the profits and cash flow goes to FXS holders instead of the FPIS holders. So it's actually like it's almost like a profit bonding curve. And the bonding curve is like how much of the, the actual new pegged stablecoin, how much of its demand is being transferred to the FXS balance sheet, right? Basically by, by increasing the, the stablecoin supply of fracks. Um, And if it is almost all of the demand, then then the FPIS holders keep all of the profit and governance power. Right. But if it's if it's less, then that just comes directly back to FXS holders. So it's actually just basically bonded essentially to uh, making sure FXS uh, is always capturing that kind of L1 value, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Yeah
0: makes sense makes sense oh uh, you mentioned like for example Terra right they do have their own chain for a stable coin there's a lot of people who don't think that's necessary I would probably agree do you think it's better to not have a chain or have a chain like like, how, what do you obviously Terra is like the hot thing right now like what are your kind of thoughts on Terra
1: um, I, I like I like Terra I think Doe is, is really aggressive and smart he's like one of the Honestly, he's like one of the biggest strategists and and stuff in terms of, you know, getting to where you are. I mean, Luna is like, what is it, like number seven CMC, like largest crypto? I mean, like, let's be real. The the dude is a force of of nature in in this industry, right? So, so like, obviously, when you're that big, you're going to have, you know... uh, thousands and tens of thousands of people online devoted to talking smack about you all day almost like it's their their full-time job i mean look at vitalik look at like the solana guys look at (laughs) look at everyone right like um so comes with the turf i i like that Terra has basically kind of adopted the viewpoint of the the fractional reserve system right like the the Partial backing of of on-chain collateral, which is kind of what our our unique like value was when we when we launched kind of the Frax idea uh, at, at the beginning in 2019. Um, I think back to your question about its own chain, and I'm interested to see what what Kirk has to say after this. But um, I think that the the thing is, you just want the money supply to be everywhere that there's a. economy and obviously luna is a big chain right so so there's obviously there should be a bunch of uh ust there which there is right but like notice how Terra itself is not stopping there because because you can't fight and tell people everyone come come to like uh, terra's chain on Cosmos. That's not gonna. That's not gonna be the way that you're like the decentralized currency everywhere, right? You have to actually export your money the same way the United States exports dollars through to, to the entire world, right? To, to other countries that and economies, right? And so that's why. Terra is kind of de- issuing their stable coin through a lot of bridge partners like Wormhole. They're, they're going heavy on, on Ethereum, on Solana. Uh, I know recently on Phantom, we actually are, are doing like a, a joint curve pool there because called the 4Pool that, that's actually launching soon. Um, and, and so overall, they're, they're just going really hard everywhere. They're, they're going like because they know that they have to push out currency where there's economic activity. Right. And so that's why with Frax. We wanted to just focus on the the main question of like we want to build the best and technologically sound currency and stablecoin, and you know building your own L1 and stuff has a lot of uh, bandwidth and, and upkeep, and we just want to focus that mindshare on making sure that our stablecoin ideas, theories, and code and protocols like pushing the the stablecoin industry forward. So so that's why we don't have a L1 chain.
2: Kirk, do you have thoughts? Well, the interesting question for me, and I'll, I'll pose it as a question for you as well, is what happens if there's a contentious hard fork on one chain where stable coins have been exported or issued? Um, you know, What is the stablecoin issuer to do in that situation? And it really depends on the type of stable coin issuer, right? Like Circle, USDC, a lot of people will say like, oh, they you'll see this kind of FUD about them dictating which Ethereum fork will be the true one, right? Um, where it's probably more like, to them, that's like a disaster, right? They just want to get their hands as far clear of it as they possibly can um, to not take on, you know, existential, legal, and marketing type of risk. But anyway, um, so that's like the motivating thing around how I think about multi chain stuff is you always have to have one root place in which the final decision is made about what is the consensus and the state of the system. And so that's ethereum right um for us ethereum l1 and it's definitely valuable valid and viable to have your own chain but then you reach a question of like if there was an ethereum hard fork which one would Terra recognize as the true one Mm -hmm. um and you get into like just like tricky questions that you have to watch out for uh, That i think a lot of people underestimate uh dangers about like liveness or consensus issues uh, on alternate layers um I think probably the like the best ways are like you have to think about who is operating the bridge ultimately, right? Because there's really no such thing as a fully trustless bridge um, that operates at scale, and a good bridge operator mitigates a lot of those concerns. You know what I mean? Um, and so we think about Vault like exporting. Uh, and I think Terra thinks about it much the same way, right? Like they have their home chain and then they export it to other chains. Um, for us, it's the same way. We could see vault getting wrapped by different people and put onto other chains but we don't guarantee that it's completely canonical you know what i mean like we don't are not going to mint vault on another chain directly because we mm. can't know for sure from the perspective of ethereum l1 which one is the true fork if there's a fork on that chain um volt dao's perspective is that's for like the bridgers to decide themselves uh not for us to decide internally on the DAO. right like like for me if we're extrapolating like say because obviously
0: the stablecoin market is huge and it's only going to get bigger that's why there's so many competitors and so for me if i'm thinking like 5 10 years down the road say you have a trillion dollar market cap stablecoin where would i want that to be settled uh IBC chain or on ethereum L1 for me ethereum is the answer um but you know i i, th- I see the arguments uh both ways
2: yeah and i think that it can be for now at least it's a there's things can be exported to where there's demand. Uh, and, you know, if if there was a credible long-term c- competitor and replacement to Ethereum that becomes clear over the course of multiple years, you know, like, there's a long-term thing and it's apparent, uh, I'm sure lots of things will change in the industry and people will adapt to that. Uh, but at least for now, um, you have to kind of pick one, right? Like, And, and things like roll-up issuance even is pretty risky. Um, like, What happens if your roll-up goes down for 10 hours, 12 hours, right? And you're either pairing with a riskier stablecoin and liquidity or you're lending over collateralized but against longer tail assets. Um, So there's definitely a lot of systemic risk within the system. Uh, And that's one thing, yeah, to emphasize about Volt is taking a slightly slower approach and being very, very careful with a lot of these risk managements. It's a trade-off because at the same time, you can't get hamstrung and never do anything. Uh, So, obviously, everyone has to balance between execution and risk management, and I'm not trying to accuse anyone of being lax, but that's something that I want to emphasize that we're really being careful about. Um, And I wanted to, again, shell the fact that we're doing a Code Arena audit March 31st. People should come participate. There's 75,000 USDC. Unfortunately, there's no vault yet in existence to give out (laughs) prizes, um, and there'll be bonus VCon rewards for any crits found. So if you have any good dev friends, let them know.
3: What
0: do you, just to like, uh, and I don't know if you necessarily have an answer for this, but like, say we fast forward five years, right? Like right now you have obviously you have like USDC and Tether, like the two biggest, and then you have, you know, Frax, Terra, Dai, all, all these different coins, uh, stable coins. And then, you know, maybe we'll even have CBDCs coming in the mix. Like if you were to fast forward five years, do you think it will be like, there's only two, like maybe a couple winners, or do you think we'll have like a dozen different stable coins that are all like very large?
2: Well, I'll be very keen to hear Sam's take on this. I personally think that there will definitely be state-level players active in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what that mean what that means exactly. Uh, you know, hard to say. And I'm sure that there will be other competitors to just do, like, tokenized dollars in banks, like what Circle does. You know, tokenized real-world assets or tokenized, like, just being able to settle... Um, being able to settle dollars over crypto rails is such an obvious superiority to the banking system. I really believe mm-hmm. that the entire banking system will be replaced by crypto pretty much over the next, like, 10 years. <laughs> you know, like, I'm pretty yeah, bullish.
0: Right? I would agree. I would agree. Hey, we're yeah. DeFi mafia, so I think, uh, you know, we're pretty bullish yeah, on DeFi. Be.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. like the internet, right? Like, sure, there are still some people using floppy disks and hardwired computers for some things, but in general, right, everything has been... Internetized and electrified pretty quickly, uh, and so you know right. whether it's years, five years, twenty years, you know it's hard to pr- make very specific predictions. This, even with how much has changed in like the last two or three years, but at least for me, I'm very bullish on like there being a trillion USDC alone in a very short time, um, yeah. Yeah. On, like DeFi as a whole and all of stuff uh, them.
3: I was about to say the first time you send USDC, it's just like, why the hell do I ever ever have to use PayPal or whatever Venmo again? You know?
2: Yeah, that, that time is close at hand, especially. In jurisdictions that are favorable, like I've been hearing, and again, I'm not an expert on this, so don't take anything I say too seriously. But that things like mobile payments adoption have become nearly universal in a lot of um, countries that wouldn't, you know, the average American wouldn't necessarily expect that that's true of, um, like in India and and many other places. And once crypto can be rolled out by even these same companies, uh, any any country that establishes a clear regulatory framework, the adoption will be like a lightning bolt. Um, yeah. That's what I think. Like, I, I think because Circle is obviously the biggest uh, kind of uh,
0: stable stablecoin right now. I would be shocked if within the next three years, obviously it depends on the regulations. But if within the next three years, we don't see a major financial institution in the U.S. issue their own stablecoin because it's just such a huge market opportunity. I don't besides the regulatory barrier. I don't see why they wouldn't do that, honestly. And maybe maybe you guys disagree or do agree. I don't know
2: jurisdiction is just a very interesting question um so like again a lot of people can get a little u.s centric i'm personally a little bit i don't know if you guys had a chance to see the recent sec movements that have been stirring but overall it's just a kind of a tumultuous and uncertain regulatory environment in the united states Mm -hmm. and until there is some idea that there'll be consistent regulatory environment across administrations it's a like good for circle that they've built up such a sunk cost and infrastructure there, like it's pretty risky from an outside perspective. Like if you're a big TradFi firm to try and do that. Um, So we'll see about like domestic competitors who are not already in crypto. Um, I'm not like, although I could see it happening maybe in like one of these like progressive jurisdiction states. Um, You never know. But I have at least been aware aware personally of any large scale efforts. Um, But I'm hopeful (laughs) about alternative jurisdictions, um, especially Europe for stable coin issuers.
0: Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see if like, you know, when we talk about CBDCs, will it be like a federal reserve in collaboration with like JP Morgan and a bunch of big banks, or will it be purely like U S government operated? I think nobody really knows the answer, but, I don't know. It's it's so fascinating to me because I don't think people like understand how big of a deal this is for the banking sector yet. Um, it's just it'll change everything, honestly. And uh, you know, and then and then you know, like what you guys are doing with FPI, I think is like it's it's just obvious like once once i like kind of read and and saw what you guys were doing i was like oh this just completely makes sense and you know ohm itself was like kind of talking about this a year ago right with their like stabilized reserve currency that's backed right and so they're trying to not be pegged to anything but just backed by a basket of assets and you guys are taking a different approach of like okay we're just gonna peg to cpi i don't know who's gonna win i don't know if there will be like one winner but it's just so fascinating to me the whole space
1: yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I like Ohm. we're actually one of the first partners with them when when they launched a while ago. And I think, you know, going back to what money is, I think the main reason that, that we're executing on FBI the way we are is like, I think in order for something to actually be a reserve currency money or whatever you want to call it, which is like something people actually spend, save in and, and transact in and it has to hold their standard of living the same. That's. You, you can't just be like, well, we're going to buy a bunch of other volatile assets and just kind of like, uh, you know, make a, a, a treasury and slosh it around and and stuff. And um, you have to at least make some kind of commitment right to to keeping uh, people's standard of living the same so that they could uh, save some somewhat in, in this in this thing. And so uh, slowly it'll it'll grow. Like if everyone puts like even five percent of their net worth on chain in like fpi or volt or something right uh that's a lot right like that if everyone just even puts like three four five percent of their net worth in this right just i mean look, look look at the look at the total crypto market cap right if that, that's the, you'll have like three percent of the total crypto market cap that's that's insane right and then you have a uh an amount to work with there right like as, as like a legitimate alternative currency um on chain because people know the commitment right they can see it they'll be like okay fpi is is staying constant to these basket of of goods with this weight right obviously it's coming from an oracle at you know at first and wolf and and fpi are just going to use that oracle um can add different oracles we can even uh eventually have you know uh governance of, of the weights or or something like that. But you know, that's way out there, like 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 Kirk was saying, in, in like years time, right? These all these smart contracts and things will be updated. Just like even how Ethereum is as, as a you know protocol is being updated. The the node software is entirely changing and, and being torn out. Right. And and so um I think like also on you guys mentioned two specific things. Uh, one on the regulatory side and then two on the kind of the anchoring uh, stablecoin somewhere and, and the in and the chain stuff and uh, one thing is FPI will probably be the most you know uh, regulatory kosher thing for people that are really uh, concerned about stuff like that because if you read all the stablecoin regulation right it's like you can't peg to uh, dollars or sovereign currencies or or like stuff, like commodities, like gold or or something. But like, it's very unlikely that they like you can't peg to a standard of living as composed by like a, a, a basket of goods or, or something, right? It'd be very dubious interpretation of, of some of the current, uh, you know, uh, stable coin laws that they'll come after all the uh, sovereign, you know, nation state currency pegs first, right? And so like, you could argue that, you know uh the real decentralized kind of stuff is a, is a decentralized peg right a new one that that kind of doesn't have to passively take the the fed's monetary policy right um and, and i guess in a nuanced sense at the beginning the fpi does somewhat passively take the fed's monetary policy cuz we read what their weights are on on the cpi but uh we obviously have long term plans of of making this like the the most uh, on-chain, you know, decentralized stablecoin. And then lastly, the other comment was um, what Kirk was saying about uh, the chain splits and and stuff. Um, I'm just so interested in stablecoins. A lot of people call me a stablecoin maximalist, uh, which is that uh, I think that the stablecoin usage and relevance will permeate, like, every part of the, the crypto uh layers from from consensus to four chain rules to like everything to uh you know what uh, all the yields in DeFi are everyone's gonna look oh how much is like lending stable coins or how much is like staking stable coins all this stuff um so far i feel like i've been proven fairly right because they've just continued to grow in importance but we'll we'll see um but that's that is also why, uh, like Kirk said, we, we base all the FRAX system contracts on Ethereum because we think Ethel1 is the, the most decentralized, you know, Turing complete place where actually like system level code can, can run from, from the FRAX protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the actual question, though, that, that Kurt posed was a really interesting one, which is like if there's a chain split somewhere else, uh, you know which which one uh and you know circle wouldn't want to get involved or something. Well maybe circle wouldn't legally, but th- they would have to get involved in some way of saying, like if there is an actual chain split, right, they're going to have to pick uh which one they will actually accept for redemptions from, from their their fiat in, in their bank, right? Because it's the, the fiat is still the same amount. That that didn't double right but but like right. the SDC did between a chain split. So uh, another view I have of like my, my stablecoin maximalism uh, worldview is like th- if there's one stablecoin that predominantly dominates a an economy like like an, a, a chain or, or something right they actually have final say on what the the canonical end state is because like everyone's balances are basically the you know everyone's value is essentially the, uh, liability of of the stablecoin issuer and, and the liability of the stablecoin issuer is the final arbiter of like what they're going to accept is for for like redemption right so like if if like you have let's let's like pretend there's a there's a blockchain where every single uh you know DeFi protocol or everything uses one type of stablecoin and only one type of stablecoin and the only uh you know stablecoin and the l1 token are in use then if there's a chain split it's equally as important what the stablecoin protocol thinks about about the chain split than what the native l1 tokens think about the the chain split right because then they're like oh crap which one where does uh you know where does this this go right which where where does the actual stablecoin protocol go so um i think that's why we work on in a, like stablecoin tech so much because I, I find it the most interesting and relevant to pretty much every part of the the blockchain stack, right? Like it's it's not like if you run kind of like uh, an, an NFT marketplace or something, right? And it it has direct relevance to chain splits, exactly, right? So it's a really really interesting and all encompassing field
0: right yeah yeah like if there is like an avax fork and now you have avax classic and avax new and usdc is like we're gonna stick with avax classic that could literally decide the fate of like who
2: wins that battle you know that's yeah, yeah that's
0: a very important thing to think about and
2: if- i'm optimistic enough to believe that that would not be possible actually in ethereum uh, but i strongly agree that that could happen on a smaller chain um more so yeah, just because
1: i think the view is i i agree that that won't happen on Ethereum. i think the view is that once there's so much uh, shared state and, and richness in, in terms of like different stablecoin issuance, different protocols that all get a, a, a nice say in like, like for example, Maker will have to decide like, you know, uh, they, they can't obviously fork their collateral and, and things like that, right? So, so Maker will have uh, a, a giant TVL that there's only gonna be, you know, one of. And so, so will like USDC will have to decide like, what redemptions they will have to do and and, and stuff like that. And because of that shared state, there's so much disincentive to ever have another Ethereum plastic or Ethereum. And so while, while I... Uh, yes, yeah, so I think Kirk and I agree. I, I don't think it will happen,
3: right? But what whatever. it's interesting to
2: think about. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely yeah. a threat for small chains. No,
3: that's a crazy question. Like, I never ever heard anybody ask that, but it's like it's very interesting to kind of theorize out. Uh, and yeah, it well, seems like it, up,
2: right. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. or any like side chain. So you have to ask yourself carefully, like, you know, sure, a roll up is trustless, but what if a stable coin issuer is like, nah, you know, <laughs> it's not legit. We're not going to issue there. Uh, right. You have to worry about those kind of questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. A um, couple more questions. Um, on the Oh, yeah, on Volt's involvement with uh, kind of, you mentioned uh, you're working with Fae, Tri, right, and then also Olympus. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship there?
2: Yeah, so Volt was originally incubated within Rari Capital prior to the merger with Fae, but mm-hmm. since then, a Fae protocol engineer, Elliot, has been actually the main engineer working on Volt full time. Uh, and so that's the level of cooperation there where, um, essentially it was built, um, within the context of the tribe. And so that's the, probably the, the number one partner for us. And then the other two biggest partners are FRAX and Olympus. And we talked a little bit about the nature of the FRAX partnership. Um, and there'll be governance, um, proposals being queued up for that very soon. Um, yeah, we're kind of doing them in a one at a time sense. Um, the, Partnership with Olympus is a a little bit different in that we see Olympus both as a service provider and as a client. Um, So they have a very large DAO treasury and hold quite a bit of stable coins. Um, Frax is one of them, DAI is another one. They have quite a bit of DAI that's earning them 0% right now in their treasury. Uh, Mm -hmm. So one great use case for Vault or FPI, right, is anyone who's currently just holding raw stable coins or has stable coins in like Ava or Compound, Right, you'd be better off just holding Volt or FBI, depending on what your risk tolerance is and what you're up to. Um, and in general, right, like Volt, you know, probably less liquidity incentives available, might be more so targeted at passive holders, um, fully collateralized, lower risk. Right, FPI, the usual Frax goodness that we're used to. Uh, so they have a slightly different, um, overlapping, but uh, but not exactly one-to-one target audiences. Um, And for Olympus, we're hoping that we can get them to um, replace a portion of that DAI in the treasury with Vault and set an example at the launch with um, an initial treasury use case. And also, we will be interested in collaboration around things like liquidity in the future. Um, There's still a lot that's up in the air as far as our VCon governance token launch that we're trying to finalize with LBP, but we're interested in bonding programs. But what I really want to talk about, actually, is not... That stuff, but cooperation on stuff that's coming up. Because uh, I had a jam session a couple of weeks ago with Zeus talking about zero coupon bonds. And um, this is a very exciting topic. You m- may have heard about this in the context of Olympus of like bonding geome for geome, uh, mm-hmm. although this establishes like the cost of capital or yield for the protocol. Yeah. And we're interested in doing the same thing of bonding volt for volt um, mm. with a volt denominated return and possibly an additional VCON yield. And the reason for this is, and it's kind of a similar motive to some of the co- concerns that the FRACT system addresses is the, in a certain sense, right, like depending on what time horizon you're looking at, sufficiently illiquid capital doesn't exist, right? So like FRACT is under collateralized and it's able to basically maintain that smoothly and safely based on keeping a good balance on supply and demand um, with like a tight you know, management of incentives. Um, For us, we're in a situation where um, we would love to be able to earn more than inflation yield by deploying into like illiquid yield opportunities. Or like if the Dow could take on like an opportunity to get more than inflation fixed yield for a year, it would love to do that and lock in in lower risk. But the question is, we don't know what portion of supply we'll need to redeem or turn over. And so locking up some of supply and zero coupon bonds makes it possible to safely do less liquid yield opportunities or more risk on stuff with the PCV and that's something we're pretty excited about
0: that's awesome yeah and i would say for anybody listening you know who's looking to get into DeFi, hit kirk up i think uh, volt is a very cool protocol to work on and uh, obviously he needs uh he's looking for people to work on it so um, Thank
2: you,
0: appreciate that. yeah and uh yeah and sam sorry one other thing i wanted to ask because we kind of alluded to a little bit before obviously right now the idea is you're pegged to cpi right which is the you know government uh, kind of Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, number. But there's also like obviously controversy around that of how they kind of decide the basket and the weighting of goods and all that. Are you going to always stick to CPI or do you guys think at some point you'll just create your own basket and own weighting mechanism that like the Dow decides on?
1: Yeah, so this is uh, this is a great question because this is what gets people really motivated on like, you know, like, This is potentially like a trillion-dollar vision, right? If if it's Mm -hmm. like a a truly uh, self-sovereign, like crypto-native kind of CPI, right? Right now, right as I was saying, um, you know, volt and FPI are uh, pegged to to CPI directly taken from the government, right? And and I think for the foreseeable future, right, uh, until we have you know tens of billions in supply uh, we, we should do something that's relatively, uh, known as the definition of inflation by everyone, right? Like, like we basically changing the basket changes the definition of inflation. Cause again, the, the definition of inflation, everyone uses, including the fed is the CPI and then the dollar value and the difference between them, right? If, if the dollar is losing, you know, like, like 6%, a value against the, this exact same basket of goods from one year to another, you say that inflation is 6%, right? And so if you change the basket, obviously, like you're saying, you can kind of manipulate uh, what your definition of inflation is to make it look like, you know, less or, or more, depending on what the political incentives are. Um, but one thing I, I will say is like, I don't think that the government uh, uh, actually like, lies or has incentive to change the actual price reporting of of the um of like like food or cars or something what what there is political or or like weird incentives is changing the weight of them so so like there's there's a there's a difference here and it's pretty subtle and we we always want to highlight this which is like this the cpi is composed of a list of prices of items and how strongly they're weighted right like so like food is 20%, right? Like cars or like whatever, like 15% or whatever, electronics are 10 or something like that. Uh, I, I don't think there's any reason to not, uh, to be or, or any reason to be suspicious of the price that the government is saying like food is. In fact, I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty accurate, uh, oracle to basically rely on yes exactly this table exactly i i think the main thing is the weights are the things that are suspect right like like very conveniently the government removed used cars from most of its weighting it's exactly when used car prices went up and obviously there was like you know somewhat plausible or good explanation for it they're like okay these are like you know uh you know what, like like supply chain, blah, blah blah blah. Obviously, a lot of people are not very convinced. Chip, chips
3: like, were part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's like somewhat political, somewhat open to debate, right? Like the weight is like, whoa, that's that's very convenient. So the thing that would have pushed like uh, the the inflation rate up to like ten percent uh, was the thing that had got, got the most deweighted. Like exactly when uh, it, it went up, how how uh, weird is that, right? But I don't think it. Um, I don't think they would lie about the prices. That 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 straight up doesn't uh, make sense. In fact, it right. should be a very reliable uh, oracle for for prices, but perhaps not the weights, right? And so that's the real question of like, uh, do you want to um, actually, you know, have governance token holders vote on on the weights of these, right? Have it basically be a true central bank literally uh define what the actual peg itself is rather than you know what uh collateral you hold or things like that
0: yeah like the 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 light bulb moment for me uh, i think one of you two said it in a twitter space but it's like it's so funny it's like if you are making a inflation adjusted coin that also decides its own inflation adjustments in the future, you're essentially forking the dollar, right? You're essentially saying, we're going to make a better dollar. And that's kind of a mind blowing thing to think about that
2: kind of could potentially be unlocked in the long term. And one thing I just wanted to say about inflation in the CPI, and I think this is a common point of confusion, is people see the prices for certain important classes of goods increasing much faster than the inflation rate. And then they think the inflation rate must be wrong. And the truth is that the reason that those goods are increasing in price is not limited to monetary inflation. Um, You know, like the U.S. housing market is highly distorted. And that's not just because of changes in the like global amount of USD in the international economy. Uh, And so that's why, like, let's say that the like one country just has like or one city has like disastrous policies. And so housing costs go up a ton. That doesn't mean we want to pay out a bunch of extra interest rate to vault holders because San Francisco has bad housing policy, you know, like, and that's a true, you know, that's an oversimplification. There definitely is, you know, a lot of real inflation, but it's important for us if we change from the official standard to be clear on what actually is inflation, what's the promise of stable value. And like certain jurisdictions might have volatility and the price could change a lot, right? Uh, locally, right? Like you could have a huge development boom, or you could have a big recession in that one country. And our goal is to be a stable asset for the whole world, not just the U.S. And so if we do change, I think that it should be with a priority on like credibly neutral internationalization of the data. Um, and so that's like a tough challenge where there's no obvious, like everyone can agree, like, look, this is the most neutral, best one to use. Uh, there might be in the future. And, you know, like biology has a challenge out right now. Like, you know, lots of people are working on this question. And I think that in five, 10 years, there'll be better answers. Um, and We can always, yeah, you know, I'm sure we'll be tweaking the Oracle in the future and users should definitely have that expectation. But the the question of whether, you know, the inflation rate is tweaked one or 2% within the FPI or Vault Oracle is not the critical thing, but rather the promise, you know, the idea that it'll be based on a real world purchasing power metric. Um, right. you know, and it's starting with the most credibly neutral and widely adopted such metric. Right. And I think the
0: idea is like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be mostly right. And it's going to be better than the old system, basically.
2: That's right. And we can iterate. And what's important is that we stay in sync as well. Uh, you know, the Vault and FPI, like, for example, let's say that Vault was like, oh, well, we really want to use this one different index, right? And FEI will be like, well, we're not sure, right? Like, it makes a lot of sense to stay with this one that's the most widely used and adopted and make sure that, and then once we have a lot of liquidity and establishment for these coins, this experiment is successful, you know, then we can think about changing it. But the CPI is already the standard that's widely used within lots and lots of things within TradFi. So it makes a lot of sense to use it.
0: All right. Um, just one final question before we go, and we kind of touched on it many times, but I guess I would just want to ask it straight up is that there is a lot of, I guess you could call FUD or uh, reasonable uh, uh, arguments against doing an algo stable coin. And obviously, I know Frax is, you know, fractionalized part algo, part backed. Uh, but even some people say that's not enough what would be your like response against that of why Frax will be uh you know viable over the long term
1: well i i think that it's not enough for 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 dye to be 150 percent back why isn't it like 200 percent back isn't it safer actually actually make that 300 percent back i think i think 200 percent's not enough why why isn't maker 500 percent over collateralized like that's that's not that's not fair actually make it a thousand percent over collateralized. <laughs> if you want to generate one die you better put up ten dollars of ETH before you can actually uh generate one die wouldn't that be way safer than putting up a dollar 50 of of ETH per, for generating like one die why don't we why don't why does the maker do that like that that would be really safe wouldn't it
0: yeah the, okay yeah i obviously you're being sarcastic but like i guess if I've, and i'm playing devil's advocate i'm a fan yeah, of fracks
2: let me jump in on and what go ahead. i want to riff on what sam just said because i i agree with the point that was made there which is that the there's a lot of confusion often between the idea of a liquid backing and then collateralization right so like Faye, which has a one-to-one liquid backing is not the same as dot or like debt it's debt backed right and same with vault right where it's a mixture or with fracks so the question is like at any given time if you think about maker like total debt portfolio you know of all the loans that they've made and then tokenize that how much is that worth right if they had like a separate token representing just the ownership of the current debt it has some value it's not exactly going to be pegged to a dollar right because it depends on the willingness or desire of the holders to repay that debt, or the maker holders changing the stability fees. Um, so like, sure, it's over collateralized, but the actual like, but however, there is one one key difference also in the MakerDAO system compared to some over collateral stable coins, I'll shout out here, which is uh, emergency shutdown. Uh, and this is actually a really good feature MakerDAO has that to my knowledge, no other stablecoin issuer has fully implemented. Um, I'm looking into it, <laughs> uh, but it's the idea that if you needed to smoothly wind down the whole thing, um, you know, and there was some problem like um, yeah, major crisis and you needed to, they actually did need to directly get all that collateral um, to to defend the die peg. They are able to do that um, where they like close out, you know, there's emergency shutdown and formalized mechanisms for a shutdown where the collateral is sold off for that die. And this is also one thing that makes fracks good compared to like, um, a pure algo stable, right? And that's the key difference is that you know that you'll always get at least that portion of the USDC backing. And so you could take a partial loss, right? And that's the difference. Um, And it's a question of like, with something like Vault, you know you will always eventually be able to redeem Vault for the face value, um, no matter what the price of the governance token is, because it's over collateralized. With Frax, that's not 100% certain if the governance token value dropped enough, like for FPIS. But you know, it doesn't need to be 100% certain to be an acceptable risk level, right, for the yield that you're getting, right? Nothing's 100% certain in this world, we could still have a smart contract failure as well, right? So I'm not trying to say it's perfect. But um, that's sort of the difference. Whereas like a full algo stable, there's a race condition, right? Like the first first one out the date, the gates devil take the hind most. And that's the key thing. Like, when you look at a system, if there's no race conditions, and it's like, okay, first to exit, last to exit, it's the same. That's like, okay, that's pretty good, right? Everyone knows what they're getting into. It's stable um, to some extent. And like that's why, if we're thinking about minting Vault in a fuse pool for collateral for like other stable coins, we would look at Frax and be like, okay, 85% collateralized. So we'll put like, you know, 100 We can see clearly, right? Okay, it should be this over collateralization to mint Vault. So we can keep like in sync with that. Terra, it's like, well, who knows, right? Like what could happen on the, the way down? Um, you know, it's a lot riskier and in a very different way. It's not fully predictable. Um, And so that's the advice I would give to listeners is to know like what are the known risks and then like the known unknowns as well. Like we don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, And so that's kind of the difference between like a fractional reserve system versus a full algo stable in my personal opinion. Yeah. um, Like
0: my, my biggest, sorry, I'll let you finish. My biggest defense would just be like bank runs are not unique to DeFi. They're literally called bank runs for a reason, right? Like banks have the same issue. If everybody went to pull their cash out at the same time, they wouldn't have it. So I think it's unfair to just put that as like, oh, stable coins are bad if they're not fully backed. Uh, because like what happens in a bank run situation and i think like you said like with maker having like a sh- emergency shut down that's basically what the government and banks do right they're literally just like no you can't withdraw your money if everybody's like trying to do it at once so i don't think it's like there's no perfect solution i think everybody's looking for the utopian answer and there isn't one it's just like you said like what's the risk people are comfortable with with their
2: stable coins and there should be a good option for everyone right and that's one reason that yeah. know, we're supportive of not just the one that exists now, but other further iterations. And I'm always excited to see cool experiments.
1: Yeah. 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 And I was obviously like trying, I I was being facetious, obviously, with, with saying we should, we should, uh, 1000% collateralized die. But my, my point was, and, and Kirk said it brilliantly was like, all this stuff is risk and, and like cost of money creation. Right. And so, uh, imagine so, so like, no one can deny if, if uh, die was a thousand percent back it would be much safer than it'd be like 150 percent back right like if, if you had to put up ten dollars worth of eth uh, to make one die, uh, I would obviously all other things being equal like liquidity and stuff I would al- always want to hold 10x back die rather than you know 150 percent collateralized die right mm-hmm. um, and but the problem is who in their right mind would ever generate that uh, by putting you know 10, uh dollars worth of beef for like one die um versus if they could just go and and like borrow die on compound by putting in a dollar 50 of collateral and and like and like borrowing it that way right uh or, or like borrowing usdc from compound by putting 150 uh percent collateralized rather than a thousand percent right and and like the stable coin that's a thousand percent back is not viable the the actual uh cost to create it is so high, no one actually would would do that, right?
3: Too inefficient.
1: Uh, yeah. And you, you don't want it to be uh costless like like a zero percent one where you just can print it and there's no assets backing it on, on a balance sheet, right? And and I think uh obviously that's why uh all all the stable coins that had no backing like the original uh, Algo Stables and in, in DeFi Summer uh, 2020 all just you know went straight to zero after a couple weeks or a couple months. Uh, so it's it's all just about risk, as Kirk said. It's it's about risk. It's about uh, cost of money creation and the ability to uh, maintain the liabilities on on its balance sheet. That's why banks, like like you're saying, banks have the exact same issue. That's why they have both uh, reserve requirements and they have like you know they're technically backed hundred percent by by like loans but they have reserve requirements which what it means is it has to be uh cash or deposits of the federal reserve aka the the most liquid type of uh redemptions right like those are are required by law for banks right because they they actually need them in case a lot of people uh come and say hey, give me back my deposit. You can't give someone's mortgage to, to someone who wants cash back. You can't just, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. You have to give them back cash. So uh, overall, it you know, I think, uh, what do I say to the people that say algo stables are weird? I say, uh, I demand a thousand percent collateralized die.
3: Yeah. Uh, I was going to chime in. This actually ties in relatively nice to what I was going to say, which was uh, one, Kirk, you I, I loved your point about the uh, 80% like USDC, you kind of know like, you kind of know the worst-case scenario type type situation, which uh, I, I just think is a good point. Uh, and then the other thing, Sam, like I've seen on videos of you prior, like I, I think I, I saw you talking to Justin Bram a while back, and you mentioned, like, more and more, uh, you know, protocols seem to be kind of adapting y'all's type of model or that, like, you know, the fractional type model. Uh, you know, Terra obviously adding the BTC to the reserves, which everyone should get, you know, well-versed in and studied up on if you, if you haven't. I know, like, I don't know too much about them, but, like, one of my friends – has told me about cello and they have like bitcoin and eth that backs theirs i think as well um that you guys know I've, I've like researched a project recently on phantom which is called Deus. i was stable farming with their stable which is just like your model that's like 80 something percent uscc and then whatever else burned by their token so uh point being like i'm seeing more and more of this a- as we you know continue on uh in this crypto journey and uh uh, it seems like it's the way to go for me too, or like I, I think it's far <laughs> I, I, I commend you, <laughs> sir. I commend you, sir.
1: <laughs> we have this meme that uh, is like uh, hashtag all roads lead to frags because like yeah. I think <laughs> I like uh, like the I'm I'm an advocate of like studying like financial evolution, kind of like biological evolution, uh, because like there's some, I, this is my theoretical belief and how I like look at the, the, the uh, industry and stuff is like, there is indeed some truth and efficiency that like all market participants are like, rationally kind of discovering the same way you can discover like a, a mathematical truth or like, you mm-hmm. know, the way that, you know, F equals MA, a physics equation is out in the open to, to discover. And my own view about, you know, finance is that there is uh structural properties to to discover and and the way to look at the industry is like what are the structural properties that the crypto industry as a whole is discovering and so that's that's how i usually look at things and uh i see you know currently the the industry still in a very nascent way but but discovering that you can create a uh non-usd pegged you know uh stablecoin that is actually going to be used as uh you know a savings or or unit of account and you know hopefully it's FPI and and volt and stuff but i the fact that we're talking about it and it's getting a lot of interest is usually kind of the first uh signs of of like attempts at making it right
0: yeah yeah very well said i think like the way i kind of think about it is just you have to balance the capital efficiency with the risk appetite, right? And that's why a thousand percent backed maker doesn't make sense, but zero percent backed algo coins don't make sense either. And there's like that equilibrium that hopefully the market will come to a conclusion on at some point, or like Kirk said, maybe there will be many options that people can decide from on the risk curve. So anyways, Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. This was a great conversation. I know we went a little long. Thanks for your time. Uh, Yeah, for everybody listening, go check out Volt Protocol. And, uh, you know, if you want to work with them, go go work with them. And I think a lot of people know of FRAX and should start paying attention, uh quite a bit more. Thanks so much, guys.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having us. I think it's going to be a fun next couple months. So stay tuned. I
0: think so, too. I think so, too.